Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Great words for us uh, to be thinking about and uh, worshiping around this morning. So uh, take a look at this passage of Scripture. I don't know if you've noticed it before. We're going to think about it and unpack it a little today. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had been cast, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not necessarily a passage I would normally stop at and spend time with, but... We're thinking this morning as we wrap up this series called Overcomers about overcoming darkness and what that looks like. Now, I know generally we like to start slow. I know you like to stretch a little and warm up. I know probably since, uh, you know, you gather from a variety of places, maybe you haven't gotten your snack yet or you need to refill your coffee or whatever it is. But, but I, I want to start a little quick. I want to throw something at you that I'd really like for you to chew on. And I'm going to tell you, it's chewy. And uh, it won't make any sense, and I'm not going to give you any context. I'm just going to read it a couple of times, and uh, I want you to sort of settle in. And I want you to think about it. And I want you to think about it as we open the Word and as we move through uh, the conversation this morning. But here it is. It's, it's from... G.K. Chesterton, and he's writing about that passage. You've read it before. Uh, the lion will lay down with the lamb, and you know, you, you've, you've heard it. Here's what he has to say. But remember that this text is too lightly interpreted. It is constantly assumed that when the lion lies down with the lamb, the, lamb becomes, the lion becomes lamb-like. But this is a brutal annexation and imperialism on the part of the lamb. That is simply the lamb absorbing the lion instead of the lion eating the lamb. The real problem is, can the lion lie down with the lamb and still retain his royal ferocity? Now I'm going to read it one more time. Maybe you know, you, you, you're right now asking yourself, I don't get it. Why is he reading this? I'm going to slow down and read it one more time. But remember that this text is too highly interpreted. It is constantly assumed that when the lion lies down with the lamb, the, lamb, the lion becomes lamb-like. But this is a brutal annexation and imperialism on the part of the lamb. That is simply the lamb absorbing the lion instead of the lion eating the lamb. The real problem is, can the lion lie down with the lamb and still retain his royal ferocity? So let that float around and let it marinate. I want to take you to ancient Magdala. 
The city of Magdala has been known and understood for a while, but back in the 1960s, it was really discovered for the first time, the ancient city of Magdala. And the ancient city of Magdala sits on a, <clears throat> a crossroads on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, and it is stationed uh, <clears throat> about halfway between the city of Tiberias and the uh, ruins of the ancient city of Capernaum. And it sits at a crossroads. The crossroads run north and south, and that, that road, if you took it north, it would take you up into the northern section of Israel. Uh, you wouldn't be able to go far, not very many miles before you entered into Lebanon. Uh, and so going north up towards the greater continent of, uh, of uh, Asia or middle of the Middle East. If you went south, it would take you down to Jerusalem. If you stayed on that road, it would eventually take you all the way south uh, into Egypt. And uh, it, it sort of uh, parallels along the Mediterranean coast there. If you took it east and west, you can't go any further east because you would run into the Sea of Galilee. But if you took it west towards the Mediterranean Sea. It would take you out towards Nazareth. It would take you out towards all of those western cities that dot along the landscape as you move out towards the Mediterranean Sea. And so because of that, uh, which, you know, it sort of enters in through um, the Armageddon or the uh, uh, Valley of Megiddo, and, and so it comes all the way through. Because of that, this, this ancient village of Magdala was a crossroads, and it it had an enormous amount of traffic that went with it. It's only mentioned once in the New Testament, and the reason that we know so much about it or think so much about it is because of Mary Magdalene. Uh, here's a painting of what she might have looked like, one artist's rendering. Uh, and Mary Magdalene, she bears a, 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 a heavy bit of weight in the story uh, of the gospel. But we have good evidence that she was Mary Magdalene. She was Mary of Magdala, which is what that whole thing means. And so... Uh, when you begin to think about it. As early as in 1960, there was a discovery of uh, the ancient ruins, and you can see here's a really old photo of what some of that might have looked like. But in 2009, an organization called the Legion of Christ purchased property adjacent to the old, what was known as the old ruins, and they began to build a, a hotel. And as they began to build that hotel, they ran into some of the ruins, in fact, a mu much more extensive part of the city than anyone ever knew existed. And so they began right away an archaeological sort of dig, and uh, subsequently, really within pretty short order, uh, they came across uh, what was sort of a, uh, you know, a, a little mosaic-covered floor, and this altar was present. Uh, this altar is inscribed with uh, Jewish symbols. You can kind of see if, I don't know how the, much the detail comes through, but the menorah and several elements of Jewish worship. And it was very quickly ascertained that what we were looking at is a first century altar from a first century synagogue. And so they continued that excavation and the entire synagogue was eventually uncovered. In fact, a vast amount of the whole town was uncovered. Uh, uh, there was a, a ritual bath that was uncovered. It's the, it's the first ritual bath in all of Israel to be fed by a natural spring, usually fed by rainwater. So the, ba the bath, the ritual bath at Magdala at the synagogue was considered to be a bath that was fed with living water and made it a very important place. Uh, subsequently, the Legion of Christ uh, built a church on the site, uh, and uh, the church now is a, is a beautiful place. If you were to go into the crypt of that church, down into uh, underneath the altar, what you would find there is a, a room 
And uh, in that room, uh, the paving stones from the first century marketplace uh, are what make up the floor of that room. So I just want to get your brain around that. So we're told very often that Jesus went around uh, and preached in many of the synagogues. It would not be an exaggeration as you look at that photo that, that Jesus would have met Mary Magdalene at this synagogue. That is the picture of the first century synagogue, including the benches around the outside. It, it wouldn't be a stretch to think that, that Jesus might have actually encountered her in the marketplace, that the stones that make up the floor of the modern church might have been the very stones of which Jesus... He, he lived only 10, 10 kilometers to the north in the city of Capernaum. The city of Magdala was this, this you know, seaport on the Sea of Galilee. There was a massive breakwater in port to protect the fishing vessels. Uh, ancient Magdala, you know, it exported salted fish around the world. It was known in Europe for its salted fish. And so this massive breakwater. Just a few years ago, in 1986, uh, a boat was discovered adjacent to this space. Uh, it's become known as the Jesus Boat, and it was a part of that fleet of fishing boats. And you're looking at the actual uh, remains of that boat, which has been preserved and are now, you know, uh, in a museum nearby. So I just want you to get the sense of how important this little place is, the crossroads. Jesus lived just 10 kilometers north. He, he encountered, he met Mary. There's a beautiful church there now, and, uh, and it's themed after the idea of pushing off into the deep, and it celebrates sort of what the whole culture of ancient Magdala is about. And so for a moment, I want us to just think together about this ancient space and about the person who came from there, and about who she is. And, and when you think for a moment about what that looks like and what that's all about, I want to read again from Luke chapter 8, and I want you to hear very carefully some of the things that are happening. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. The, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. And I want to ask you this as we kind of dive into a little character study of two of these women. Will you let go of this? And focus on that. Will you let go of this and focus on that? We're told uh, two women here that get kind of immediate attention. Now we're given three names. The third name we really don't know anything about. We, we don't know how to even begin to do research into that. But the first two names, Mary Magdalene, we have a good bit of information about. And, and then Joanna, the wife of Chusa. And so I'd like for you to just Sit with me for a minute and think about these two women, both delivered out of darkness, both overcoming darkness, and what that might look like for you and me on this Sunday morning. Let's talk about Mary. Mary has a bad rap. I, I mean, we have given and attributed to Mary all kinds of improper behavior. We have attributed to her because Luke, a little bit later in his gospel, is going to tell a story about Mary Magdalene, and then immediately he's going to tell a story about a woman who was unclean, about a woman who was uh, impure, sexually impure. 
And so uh, immediately people have associated Mary Magdalene with that woman. But Luke does not indicate that they're the same woman. In fact, some good reason to think maybe they're not the same woman. So we don't know the nature of Mary's affliction. We don't know what happened to her. We don't know anything about her. I just wanted you to get your head in this space. Her friends and her colleagues... Whatever had happened to her found it better to say about her in retrospect, she had been delivered from seven demons. I don't know what kind of darkness you would live in that your friends later on, as a way of sort of referring to you, I mean, just think about it, how that might come up in conversation about you or me that someone mentions your name and they talk for a minute and they all kind of quiet and give a knowing nod and, and then they say something like, well, you know, Jesus cast seven demons out of her. What kind of darkness did a woman live so that the epitaph that fathers her life is out of whom seven demons had come? What, what was the nature now, we know in the ancient world that, that a lot of things were contributed to, to demonic possession. Some of those were actual, you know, sort of scary exorcist kind of frothing at the mouth, you know, uh, uh, superhuman strength. We, we read several of those deliverances in the New Testament about how Jesus broke that kind of possession so maybe, maybe Mary had some of that going on. Maybe early in there, there was like an actual sort of possession and, 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 you know, crazy spiritual, but it didn't have to be that. Certain diseases were thought to be demon-related. So maybe it was a physical sickness that plagued her and Jesus healed her. In fact, we're told in this passage, uh, you know, that there were, you know, demonic possession and diseases that were healed but then specifically, we're focused in on the seven demons that come out of Mary. It didn't have to be sickness, and it didn't have to be demonic activity per se. It could have been simply mental illness. It could have been psychological distress. So, so what I'm saying is, maybe the nature of Mary's darkness had to do with depression or anxiety, or, or maybe it was some sort of emotional thing that happened to her that she couldn't settle down, that she couldn't get quiet, that she couldn't find peace, that she was tormented. Maybe not only in, the, in those days did they attribute demonic possession with those sorts of behaviors and issues, but there's a, a, another reality that goes into that, and that is personal failure. Maybe it did have something to do with sexual sin and shame and and. and and, you know, we know that Magdala, part of the reason we associate sort of this thing with Mary Magdalene is because the city of Magdala was at a major crossroads. It was a port city. Uh, you know, those cities had a reputation for appealing and providing for all of the hungers of human beings, you know, the good ones and the not-so-good ones. And what if Mary's darkness had to do with that? Shame, chronic failure, sexual sin. All we know is that later on, in her journey and in her life, people chose to refer to her, to speak to her, to say about her, to sum up all of the darkness that was in her. This was the one out of whom Jesus cast seven demons. I don't know. I, I would think if somebody said that about you, you would like a chance to explain. I, I would think you would, 
you would want to say, yeah, but, well, just so you know that you understand, well, demon number one was sort of this, and then two was this, and then three was that. And, and don't you think, I just imagine, if that were being said of you or me, I mean, most of us could come up with seven, seven kinds of darkness that maybe as you think about it this morning, it's fear, it's self-doubt, it's, it's, it's guilt, it's shame. There's all kinds of ways. What we can know about Mary is that Mary was trapped in darkness, but that's not where her story ends at all. Not at all. And, and then we're told about another person in the equation, and we're told that her name is Joanna. Now, I'll be honest with you. I, I have never noticed this verse at all. Till somebody else put together a sermon series and said, you're going to preach about this. And, and then I'm reading it really slowly and I'm going, Joanna, I don't know that I've ever really thought about Joanna. And then I'm told right here in the passage, I, I mean, I don't have to even look very far. I don't have to dream it up. I don't have to do a ton of research. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, listen, the manager of Herod's household. Now, I don't know about you, but immediately I got an issue. I got a problem. We're, we're talking about the wife, so let's put it in modern terms, Chusa, whom we know a lot about, was the chief of staff for Herod Antipas. Joanna and Chusa are in Magdala because Herod Antipas, who is the son of Herod the Great, is building a city just south of Magdala in tribute to his Roman benefactor. He will call the city Tiberius. Chusa is in Magdala to manage the affairs of Herod Antipas. Joanna is his wife. Are you guys with me? You get where we're going? Herod Antipas is the Herod who put to death John the Baptist. Herod Antipas is the person who married his sister-in-law that John condemned. You, you remember the story. This is the chief of staff of that Herod, and this is his wife. Herod Antipas is the Herod that ultimately will be involved in the death and crucifixion of this same Jesus to whom Joanna is contributing to the ministry and support of Jesus and his disciples in this space. So maybe Mary's darkness is about all kinds of personal failings and weaknesses and very, very much an internal perspective of who she is. But Joanna's darkness is that she is tied deeply into a political system that has all of the attributes of everything we hate. She was tied somehow into this usurper, Herod Antipas, who was a sympathizer with the enemies, who, who represented the very worst of oppression to the Israelites. You, you could, I am wondering how you and I would feel about such people in the inner circle of discipleship. And my question to you this morning, are you willing to let go of 
this in order to hang on to that? Are you willing somehow to say, listen, there is a layer of reality that goes on, a, re a reality that has to do with politics that are ugly and messy, and sometimes those politics exist inside of us. Sometimes it has to do with how I'm made, and it has to do with my personal failings, and it, it has to do with the chronic behaviors and the emotional makeup and the mentality, and, and I'm not saying we just live in that. She was delivered out of all of that stuff. And I'm wondering this morning as we gather in this place, are you willing to let go of that, to hang on to this? She let go of all of that to seek after and follow Jesus. And to sacrifice out of the depth of her being to be a part of what Jesus was doing and his kingdom that was alive on earth. Are you willing to let go of that and take hold of this? And then Joanna. I don't know what those awkward conversations must have been like. You talk about messy. I mean, let me ask you this. You think if Joanna showed up in one of our churches, we'd be excited to see her? Her and her deep association with a husband who's, I mean, they're living a good life. They have wealth, they have status, they have connection. They, they traffic and, and mingle with the elite of society, but they're hated. They're hated by every Orthodox Jew. And I would guess not too few followers of Jesus didn't care much for them either. And I don't know their story. This is the most we hear about them. I don't know what happened. I don't know how it turned out. I just know this. Sometimes in the church, we are willing to allow the politics of others to become the thing that we hold on to. Are you willing to let go of that in order to focus on this? This woman... I don't know why Luke found it necessary to tell us this, except he wanted us to know. I don't know why he brought it up at all, except he wanted us to know that a person like Mary, who was caught in this kind of internal, this kind of personal, very personal darkness, a darkness that would follow her for the rest of her life. She will be known through all centuries as Mary Magdalene, the person from whom Jesus cast seven demons. Somehow he wanted us to know, he wanted you and I to understand that this woman who was so broken was a part of the new kingdom of God, redeemed, restored, rebuilt. And he threw Joanna in there and he told us, not some obscure, he, he leaves details of the, of the next woman, we don't even know, but we know about this, he throws it in there. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, who was, he tells us, who was the chief of staff for Herod. Don't you think it's because he wants us to know? Don't you think it's because he's saying, listen, if your darkness is political, if your culture is political, if your, if your darkness has to do with the divisiveness of the world you live in, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And the question for the kingdom of God is this. Are we willing to let go of that so we can hang on to this, the kingdom life.
I don't know what validation would look like. I don't know what it would take for me to feel like that somehow everything had worked together for good. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's one thing to, to experience the inner brokenness of Mary. It's a one thing to experience the cultural, political brokenness of Joanna. Darkness, darkness, darkness. At what point, the, do, and the journey as you try, as you, as you, you know, repent, as you try to get better, as you try to grow, at what point does, does God finally say, good job, way to go? At what point do you feel validated? Do you feel like, wow, it really is all working, all the pain, all the darkness, all the failure, all the, all the stuff is working together for good. What would that look like? I'll tell you this, not many of us get it, whatever it is. But Mary's story is unique because Mary's story doesn't stay in ancient Magdala. And Mary's support mentioned here early in the Gospel of Luke is not left there. It's Mary and some of the other women who stay at the cross as Jesus is crucified. And it's Mary in John's Gospel, chapter 20, who, along with some of the other women, goes to the tomb in order to bring spices to the body of Jesus. And it is Mary Magdalene to whom Jesus appears. It is to Mary Magdalene that Jesus, that she thinks she's talking to the gardener, and, and she says, can you tell me where they've taken him? And Jesus speaks specifically to her, and she's overwhelmed. It's, it's Mary. It's this woman from whom seven demons were cast, who finds this moment of cosmic validation, <laughs> who runs to the disciples and says, I have seen Jesus. He is alive. That's when Peter and John run for the tomb. It was Mary Magdalene who was chosen to encounter Jesus in his risen state. Do you think this is accidental? That there's something about a human being that says, I will let go of that and hang on to this, that always leads to this promise. In all things, I will work for the good. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And I'm betting that for most of us here in whatever month we're in, five or six of COVID life, some of us need to let go of that and hang on to this. God is still in control. God is still overcoming darkness. And it doesn't matter if the darkness is this yucky mess that's inside of us. Emotional, mental illness sin, chronic failure, whatever it is. Will you let go of that and hang on to this? God overcomes. And in this culture in which we live, where everybody is pointing a finger and blaming each other, where everybody is deciding which side to be on. When you and I were called to not be on, we're only on one side. 
We're just on the side of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Because we somehow think that, that this modern moment of politics in North America is going to define the kingdom of God, let go of that and start hanging on to this. The kingdom of God. I'll tell you how crazy I am right now. I was thinking the other day about a Gaither song. And there used to be, a, you know, there was a song that the Gaithers used to sing, you know, and, and she did a reading about let the church be the church, let the people rejoice. We've settled the question, we've made our choice, let the anthems ring out, songs of victory proclaim, because the church triumphant is alive and well. And in that reading, she talked about all the political structures of all of the centuries and all of the world and how the church just kept marching on and kept marching on. And I want to ask you this. At what point do we stop hanging on to that? The darkness that's in us and the darkness that's in our culture. And we start hanging on to this. We are the church of Jesus Christ, alive and well. We're going to be okay. It doesn't matter who wins the election in November. It doesn't matter what happens in the next 10 years. The church is still going to be alive and well. We are not defined by the politics of this country. We never were and we never will be. We are the kingdom of God alive on earth. And we live out its values that demands an end to racism and it demands an end to prejudice and it demands a sanctity of human life and it demands all of those things that are precious to the kingdom of God. And we seek them because they belong to the kingdom of God. Not, become the, they, not because they belong to the darkness of the politics. And so we, will you, are you willing to let go of that and to hang on to this. I want to read to you the rest of the quote that I asked you to chew on at the very beginning of this sermon. Because contextually, it's written by William Barclay, and it's written in association with this little passage. So let me read all of it to you now, and please listen carefully. It is one of the supreme achievements of Jesus that he can able, enable the most diverse people to live together without in the least losing their own personalities or qualities. G.K. Chesterton writes about the text which says the lion will lie down with the lamb, but remember that this text is too lightly interpreted. It is constantly assumed that when the lion lies down with the lamb, the lion becomes lamb-like. But that is brutal annexation and imperialism on the part of the lamb. That is simply the lamb absorbing the lion instead of the lion eating the lamb. The real problem is, can the lion lie down with the lamb and still retain his royal ferocity? That is the problem of the church. It is the problem that the church attempted. That is the miracle she achieved. She, there is nothing which the church needs more than to learn how to yoke in common harness the diverse temperaments and qualities of different people. If we are failing, it is our own fault. For in Christ, it can be done, and it has been done. We're gathering, and I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And we're going to share communion together. One people gathered around this table with all of our 
inner darkness and political darkness and diversity, and we're not asking the lion to eat the lamb, and we're not asking the lamb to annex the lion. We're asking God to help us in all of our diversity to be the kingdom of God alive on earth. Will you let go of that and hang on to this? Will you bow your heads with me? Let me ask you a couple questions. Don't you imagine that this is all here so that you and I could find the hope and the strength and the humility to overcome the darkness in our personal lives? Maybe this morning as we celebrate around this table, you need to bring some personal darkness. I have good news for you. It doesn't matter if it's physical sickness. It doesn't matter if it's some kind of way your brain works that doesn't seem to serve you well. It doesn't matter if it's an emotional sort of weakness in you. It doesn't matter what the nature of the darkness of your inner world might be. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It could be so dark and so deep and so personal that somebody might say out of you, because it's the nicest way to say it, oh, well, you know, seven demons got cast out. You can bring that. You don't have to focus on that. You can focus on this. The redemptive, loving heart of God. Whatever's happening to you, whatever pain is going on inside of you, you don't have to focus on that. You can focus on this. People overcome by the grace and the help of God. They overcome. They come to stand in a whole different world, in a whole different light. They come from a place of seven demons to a place of the appearance of the cosmic Christ. They, that happens. It's in the story. Don't you think it's here so that you and I know it? Don't you imagine that these details are here to tell you and I that no matter what the darkness of our personal story or the sordid politics of our particular time in history. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Maybe this morning as we gather around this table, you need to let go of some of that. You just need to quit focusing on it. I know it's simple to place blame. I know it's simple to believe that there are Somehow this solution or that solution is going to fix the problem. There's only one solution that's going to fix the problem. And that is when people seek the kingdom first. And that's not a decision we get to make for anybody but us. Not anybody but us. But of all people. This is the mission and the purpose of the church. And are you willing to let go of that and focus on this? Pray with me. God, as we enter into this closing space and we gather around this table to celebrate, we need you. We need the organic you. The one where the words we speak and the things we think about and all the ways in which we filter everything through our own perspectives and minds where we set that aside for a minute and we say, I am welcoming the very presence and power and body of Christ into my body. 
And in the same way that I don't assign food what it needs to do and what it needs to heal and how it needs to nourish, I'm not assigning the power of God what it needs to do. I'm not asking you to bless my stuff. I'm not asking you to bless my opinion. I'm not asking you to make the world work in the way that I think it should. I'm letting go of that to focus on this. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Nourish me from the inside out. Grow something in me because I invite you in. I surrender my opinions. I surrender my failure. I surrender my darkness. I surrender everything about the world I live in and the culture I live in. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be overwhelmed. I'm not going to be mean. I'm not going to lash out at people. I'm not going to be a troll. I'm going to be a kingdom citizen, a light salt a source of hope love I'm not gonna dwell in the darkness I'm gonna let go of that so I can hang on to this but I'm gonna need your help so as we prepare our hearts for this table we we as a congregation we as individuals we confess to you our sins all the personal darkness all the cultural and political darkness all the things that twist us up inside we're not going to focus on that we're going to focus on this all those gathered elements in this moment, we dedicate them to you that they become the powerful elements of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, sufficient to work grace in each one of our hearts and minds and spirits in our culture and our world. We dedicate these elements to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and we pray in these moments that you would apportion grace to each person as they have need. And it doesn't matter if we're going to share this moment right now live or if somebody's going to watch this a day from now or a week from now. I pray that whoever's watching at this moment pauses and go gets a cracker and a drink of water and shares with us this sacred moment. Will you be efficient to dedicate and sanctify all of those elements that are to come so that your word and power might be manifest and your grace might be manifest in lives as there is need. We dedicate them to you. In the name of the Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life, take and eat in remembrance that Christ died for you. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and drink in remembrance that Christ died for you, and be thankful. And now, God, our response to you, we lift our voices and our hearts, and we sing praise and honor to you. Please hear us. We will let go of that 
and we will hang on to this, and we will together overcome darkness. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.